Please do take up your Bibles as you sit and turn with me to page 1076, page 1076, and John chapter 10 and verse 11. John 10 and verse 11. Tonight we come to the final instalment of our summer series called Life in the Sun. I don't know about you, uh, uh, there doesn't seem to be much sun outside there. And yet as we've studied on Sunday evenings, we have come face to face with the Son of God and the life that he offers us. If you've uh, been with us here on Sunday evenings, you'd have heard something of that life. You'd have heard of the eternal life, the personal life. The satisfying life. You'd have heard of the hard life, yes, but also of the full life. And tonight we conclude this mini-series by looking at the sheltered life offered by the Son, who is the Good Shepherd. First glance, as we uh, talk about the sheltered life, uh, I don't know what comes across your mind when you hear someone talking about a sheltered life. You might think of someone who is naive, or someone who's been mollycoddled, or someone who has been hidden from reality. Because that's often the way that we talk about a sheltered life, in a derogatory way. But as we look tonight at our passage, and as we understand who Jesus is, and what he means by calling himself the Good Shepherd, we'll see that sheltering in him is vital for each one of us, because it is life saving and life-changing. We'll see that the shelter he offers is intimately personal and that it's not just on offer for a few, it's on offer for all. wonder what you've uh, thought of you've seen the uh, coverage on TV of the floods in Pakistan, seeing the devastation to land and to property and the death that has reigned. It's been shocking to me, and I'm sure it's shocked you too. And as we see the current pictures of millions of people displaced, I was reading in the news this, the end of this week that the UN estimates that there are 4.6 million people who are now flood victims and looking for somewhere to live on dry land. Not looking for a shelter, but looking for someone to live. They're desperate they want shelter from the, from the floods that are torrenting through their uh, land. They want shelter from more rain. They want shelter from disease. It's not hard, is it, to see their need of shelter. And yet, by contrast, living in our land, we often find it very difficult to see our need of shelter and to see that we are just as desperately in need of shelter as they are. And we find that out as we look at Jesus, the Good Shepherd. Uh, Those uh, five words, I am the Good Shepherd, it's a claim about who Jesus is and about why he came. Uh, To start with, as Jesus says, I am, he is saying something about who he is. He is saying that he is none other than the Lord God, the one who revealed himself to Moses back in Exodus by those words, I am. Paul reminded us of that this morning, and I smiled inwardly as I thought, here goes part of my sermon. 
But that is who God is. He has revealed himself as I am. And Jesus comes up and says, I am. He claims to be God himself. And that claim is given further weight by the amazing miracle or sign that Jesus has just given to his divinity as he heals that blind man before the crowd. The end of chapter 9. So first off, he claims, I am. Second, he claims to be the good shepherd. And again, he's identifying himself as the Lord God, the one who promised to come in person to shepherd his people, to come as the good shepherd because all the shepherds he'd sent before had not lived up to the shepherds they should have been. And so in Ezekiel 34, God says that he will be the one who comes himself, to search for and to look after his people. And of course, to add to that, we've heard tonight, haven't we, from Psalm 23, that although David himself did not see Jesus, yet he knew the Lord as his shepherd. He was able to say, the Lord is my shepherd. I wonder... Can you say that of the Lord God tonight? Is he your shepherd? Is he the divine shepherd that is looking after you, that you allow to look after you and care for you? As Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, he is claiming to be the fulfillment and the realisation of all of that. And it's a massive claim, isn't it? About an identity to be God and to be our divine shepherd. Jesus uh, says that to the crowd and then just in case they think you must be joking. He gives two very good reasons why he is not just their good shepherd but our good shepherd too. And he gives us two very good reasons why we should shelter in him. And the first is this, it's that the good shepherd dies for his sheep. If you want to know, Jesus says, what a good shepherd looks like, he's a shepherd who dies for his sheep. That is the first criteria. Verse 11, I am, Jesus says, the good shepherd. The good shepherd is the one who lays down his life for his sheep. It's a very general statement about what a good shepherd looks like. He's known because he's ready and willing to lay down his life for the sheep. And Jesus repeats that claim again in verse 14. I am the good shepherd. And he says again, verse 15, I lay down my life for the sheep. He applies not just the general idea of a shepherd, but he starts to speak of his sheep. He is beginning to say that not only is he a shepherd, but he has sheep for whom he lays down his life. And then again in verse 17 and 18, the reason why my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. You see, it's all part of God's amazing plan for us and for Jesus, wrapped up together, him as our good shepherd, us as his flock. Jesus then is the good shepherd because he lays down his life for his sheep. And we can learn three things about how he lays down his life. Three things about his death from what he says about it here. 
which will help us understand why he is the good shepherd and why he is the shepherd that we need to take shelter in. And the first thing is this, it's that Jesus dies voluntarily. I wonder if you notice that in uh, verse 15. He says, I lay down my life for the sheep. Again, verse 18, no one takes it, that is my life, from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have the authority to lay it down, he says. Just as uh, I took off my uh, jacket at the beginning of this uh, meeting tonight because it was too hot, I laid it down in the uh, seat in front of me. I had the authority to do that. I took it off and I laid it down and I have the authority to take it up again later on. That's what Jesus is saying is I have that authority to lay down my life and I'm doing it willingly. Willingly. No one forces me to do it. Once heard a story about a First World War soldier. He'd been wounded in action and taken off to the field hospital. And uh, as he lay there, a medical officer came up to him and said, I'm so sorry you lost your arm. The soldier looked up at the medical officer and said, I didn't lose it. I gave it. And that is just what Jesus is saying here. He is the good shepherd who chooses, who gives his life voluntarily. And that God should choose to do that, it tells us not only how much he must love us, but also that all must not be well with us because someone has to die. Something must be terribly wrong if God has to come and die. And that leads us to the second reason, the second thing about Jesus' death, which is that it is, he dies vicariously. Long word, it simply means he dies on behalf of others. You might want to say he is the super substitute, the one you bring on to win the match in the final moments. So verse 14, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Verse 15, he says he lays down his life for the sheep. It's another word of say, way of saying that as the shepherd, he goes and he dies on behalf of his flock or instead of his flock. Now when you think about that, uh, if there was, say, a flock of sheep here and there was a wolf at the door over there and the shepherd goes up to the wolf and he lays down his life to stop a sheep being killed. In many ways, that has saved that sheep, but what about the rest of them that are still here? It seems a strange idea. Until we understand that Jesus dies to save not just one sheep, but us all. He doesn't say, I lay down my life for one sheep, but for the sheep, the whole flock, not just for one. And you see, this is where we begin to understand why Jesus had to die. And it's simply this. That just as that flock that was here, the flock in the fields that we may see as we go home tonight, just as that flock may, in, may be in danger from a wolf, the whole of the human race is in danger, not from floods, but from Satan. 
the one whose aim is to destroy our life, to destroy mankind. Let me take you and whiz you right the way back to the beginning of time. God created a perfect world. He created us to live in it with him, in perfect relationship. But the devil tempted Adam and Eve. He tempted them to disobey God. And ever since they listened to him and turned away, from the true shepherd. Ever since then, we have all been tainted by sin. We've all rebelled against God and we are under the same sentence as them. Cut off from God, now and for eternity. And for eternity, for those of us that don't know, that means hell. But you know what? Jesus came as the good shepherd. He lived the perfect life, the life that you and I could never lead. And so he wasn't under the same sentence of death that we are. And so he was the one who could take our place. He chose to come as the good shepherd to give his life so that we might live and have life in all its fullness. That is why Jesus in verse 10, the the verse right before our verse tonight, says these words. He says, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have Life, and life in all its fullness. That is the great news of the Christian gospel, that the one true God who will judge each one of us for our sin comes personally into the world to die in our place so that we need not be cut off from God, so that we can be restored to his flock, so that we can enjoy life in all its fullness now, today, and on into eternity so that we can receive life in the Son. It's the greatest ever substitution. Jesus dies vicariously for you and for me. And so to be a Christian is to be one of the flock and is able to say, yes, Jesus Christ died for me. That is what a Christian can say. And if you cannot say that, then you cannot be part of that flock. You are not part of that flock. You are in need of coming into the flock. So Jesus dies voluntarily, he dies vicariously, and finally he dies victoriously. Verse 17, The reason my Father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have the authority to lay it down and the authority to take it up. This command I received from my Father. And so just as I took off my coat, uh, my jacket earlier, I've got the authority to put it back on again later. And that's exactly what Jesus says. I have the authority to die and to rise again. And he is referring here, of course, to the fact that, yes, he will die on a cross... But three days later, he will do what no mere human being can do. He will return to life again. He rises, and so he shows that he has paid the price for our sin, that his vicarious death did what he promised it would do. Otherwise, he would have remained dead. And because Jesus has risen, he is the shepherd who can lead us and guide us and take us 
to the new life in God. The life that God has planned for us in this life and in eternity. He is the good shepherd who can and will lead us and care for us all the way. So we see the good shepherd who lays down his life voluntarily, vicariously, victoriously. And we begin to see why he should be our shepherd, your shepherd and my shepherd. For without him we cannot, we cannot say what David said at the end of Psalm 23. He cannot say that I walk through the valley of the shadow of death fearing no evil. You cannot do that unless the Lord Jesus is your shepherd. You cannot trust in one to prepare a table before you in the presence of your enemies. You cannot say that goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You can only say that when the Lord is your shepherd. That is why we need to take shelter in him. And why a future without that shelter is far worse than the floods we see in Pakistan, the fires in in Russia and the earthquakes we've seen in Haiti. So can I ask you again, is Jesus your good shepherd? Have you seen what he has done by dying for us? And can you say that Jesus died for me? He is the good shepherd because he dies for his sheep. And secondly, and more briefly, he is the good shepherd because the good shepherd cares for his sheep. Verses 12 through to 15 paint an amazing contrast here, don't they, between the good shepherd on the one hand who owns the sheep and the hired hand who abandons the sheep. The good shepherd really cares. The difference, verse 13, the hired hand runs away because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. And Jesus explains that the, the care that the good shepherd offers is amazingly privileged and amazingly attractive. I've got uh, four very quick and short points about the kind of care that Jesus offers us. The first is that he owns us as his sheep. Jesus owns his sheep. Verse 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd who owns the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. You see, when Jesus, or when the good shepherd, owns his sheep, that means he is totally, 100% committed to his sheep. No false promises of health care, of benefits, of winter fuel payments, of family credit. This social care scheme is gold-plated and guaranteed because we are owned by the shepherd. If we are in Jesus' flock, we are his. He owns us. And that ownership doesn't bring abuse, but total commitment even unto death. And that commitment from the shepherd must bring commitment from the flock. 
So as we see he is committed to us, so we are committed to him. We are the ones who who listen to him, who follow him, who give our lives to him. We are prepared to follow him wherever he calls us to go. For he is the good shepherd and we are his sheep. So the first way he cares for us is that he owns us. It may seem, it may seem a very dangerous position to be in, but it is remarkably privileged and should give us great comfort. Second way he cares for us is that he knows his sheep. Not a superficial knowledge, but one that is really deep and intimate. Verse 14, I am the good shepherd, I know my sheep, and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. Do you see that? He knows his sheep just as well as he knows his Father. That is some intimacy, isn't it? He knows us by name. He knows us by sight. He knows how we are wired up. He knows all about us. He knows our past. He knows the trials and tribulations, the joys that we've been through. He knows about our present. He knows whether life is tough for us at the moment. He knows whether we are facing joy or trials. He knows how and when we find it easier to follow him and more difficult to follow him. He knows about our relationships, about our health, about our work, about our finances. He knows about our education. He knows all about us. In fact, he knows us far better than we know ourselves. And he is ready and willing and as God he is able to help us. Now, that doesn't mean to say that life will be a breeze. But it does mean to say that he will shelter us as we face what we have to face. David said these words, didn't he? He said, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, he still experiences, but he knows that the good shepherd will go with him. And we too can know and trust that he will go with us, shepherding us and caring for us. And he does it by his spirit living in us and through his word that he has given to us. He is the good shepherd. He knows his sheep. He knows us intimately. He knows what care we need. He knows when we need it. He knows when to walk with us. He knows when to carry us. And that has been the experience of Christians throughout the centuries and it was certainly the experience of David. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. That is confidence, isn't it? He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. But he will only do it if we will let him. He is the good shepherd and we must trust him and we must allow him to lead us because he knows us and because he owns us. And thirdly, he protects us. That's the third way he cares for his sheep and he does so by dying for us. 
And if he has done that, that means that there will be nothing that he will stop short of doing for us to ensure that we enjoy life with him now and life in eternity. Because when the wolf attacks, when Satan comes, as he surely will, as he will come to try and make us deny Christ and rip us away from the good shepherd, we need to know that Jesus has already defeated him and that in and through our good shepherd, we are victorious and we are safe. But we must remain in him. We must allow him to protect us as he has promised. And we must trust him to do battle on our behalf. Our good shepherd is the one to whom we must turn when we are tempted for the nth time to hold on to whatever it may be that is coming between us and God. The one thing that Satan wants to draw us away from the good shepherd with. You know, as we uh, leave here tonight, he knows what you and I are going to face. He knows the temptations that are going to come across our paths. He knows the dangers that are going to come across our paths too. But if we are his sheep, he will be living in us and be going with us. He will protect us. He will do battle for us and in us. He will make sure that we arrive safely in heaven with him. Jesus is the good shepherd. He cares for us because he owns us, because he knows us, because he protects us. And finally, he is the one who gathers in his sheep. Verse 16, turns to the people that are standing around him and he says these words, he says, I have other sheep that are not of this pen. I have other sheep who are not Jewish. I have others that I must bring in and they too will listen to my voice and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. Reminds us that Jesus isn't just drawing from one nation. Jesus is drawing his flock from every tribe and nation, from people of every language. He is gathering in his sheep as they respond to his voice. As we listen to him, and choose to follow him as our shepherd. So we come into the fold. We become part of his flock. We are united as one flock. That's what was happening there as Jesus spoke to those people in the first century. That is what is happening here tonight as we look at his words as he speaks to us. And it will continue to happen as we leave here as his flock And we take with us that same word. As we take that word into our homes, into our neighbourhoods, into our places of work tomorrow, into the gyms or the places where we socialise, into our clubs, into our universities or schools. That is the word that if we are part of his flock, we will be telling others about. Because Jesus is the good shepherd who longs that none should perish. So much so that he is willing to give his life for us. This then is the care package that Jesus offers. 
This is the shelter that we need from the Good Shepherd. And it's the most complete care package, quite honestly, that any of us will ever, ever have. It is individually tailored to each one of us here. Differently for each one of us, but with the same aim. To follow him as the shepherd and to follow him home, to our heavenly home. It's a care that's that's guaranteed, isn't it? Because of what he has done already for us by dying on the cross. That means that he will shelter us the whole way from our ultimate enemy. It's a care that's never going to be lacking. It's a care package that Jesus gathers us into as we respond to his word and which he extends through his word and spirit. As we sit here tonight, we'll know whether we are in that flock. You will know whether you are someone who is owned by him because you will be someone who is listening to him and wanting to obey him. You will know if you are known by him because as you listen to him and his voice and you allow him to work in your heart, in my heart, you will be the one who trusts him to provide what you need because you know that he knows you and knows what you need. And we will know that we are protected by him and we will take refuge in him. This is the good shepherd. This is the good shepherd who offers us shelter in this life and for eternity. But do you know him? Is he your good shepherd? It's amazing as Jesus finished saying these words to those that were before him. The crowd were divided. Verse 19. At these words, many of the Jews, at these words, the Jews were again divided. Some called Jesus a demon and a lunatic, verse 20. Others said, well, look, actually a demon couldn't do what Jesus has just done with this blind man. But do you see what neither group did? Neither accepted the logical and only explanation that he was, I am. That he was God on earth, the good shepherd who dies for his sheep and cares for his sheep. And the one who wants them and us, like David, to call him my shepherd, who died for me and who cares for me. John says, as he begins to conclude his book in John chapter 20, verse 31, he says this about what he has written. John 31, he says, These are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. This is the life that we've been looking at on these Sunday evenings. This is the great life. It may be a sheltered life, but it is the great life. It is life in all its fullness, and it comes through the Good Shepherd. I don't know where you stand with him tonight, but you do. You know exactly whether you are in the flock or not. But I do know tonight that there will be some of us who are and some of us who are not. Some of us who even now are closing our ears so that we do not have to hear what Jesus says to us. Some who are rejecting him. 
I'm going to give us a few moments now to just consider Jesus, the Good Shepherd, again. To, I hope you'll keep your Bibles open. Please don't close them yet. In the moment of silence, please do look through those words. Read through what he says about the care that he offers. And as you do so, just ask, you one que- ask yourselves one question. Can I really afford not to accept Jesus as my shepherd? Can I really afford not to accept Jesus as my shepherd any longer? And if you have accepted him, ask yourself this question. Am I letting him be my shepherd? Let's just spend a moment of quiet now. Let's look at those words and let's listen to the words of the Good Shepherd and then I'll pray. You may want to echo these words in your heart as I say them. Jesus, you say that you are the good shepherd. We ask you to be our shepherd. We know that we cannot fully understand all that that means. But we ask you to be our shepherd. Thank you for dying for us. Thank you for committing to care for us. Help us to listen to you, to follow you, to be sheltered by you in this life and the next. Amen.